So the other day I was thinking about something. I was sitting around and remembering the origins of my dream. I was remembering uh, my youth when I was a child, back in the early days of like elementary school, right? Back when the school system is trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do for the rest of my life, right? That was the, the main goal of that time period was like, what is he interested in? What is he skilled at? You know, and there are a lot of kids that choose different paths, right? So you might be really good at math and you're, you're progressing towards some sort of math career, whether it's accounting or whether it's banking, or you're really interested in science and science experiments or numbers these days. And you're really interested in uh, programming and technology. Um, and then there's that group that is artistically inclined, right? Someone that either likes to perform on stage or someone that likes to draw, right? Someone that uses the left side of your brain, right? I think that's the right side. I think it's the left side for artists. And uh, that early on, early on in our stage, when we see something, right? Most of the time we see something that really appeals to us. We see a hero of ours or we read something and we're like, fuck, that's what I want to do. Can you imagine like the little 10 year old me saying, fuck, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and so I, I was thinking about that because I, I oftentimes I like to go back and sort of figure out how I got to where I where I am. Like, where does it start? Like, when did I decide? <laughs> when did I full fledged decide that I'm going to be a broke artist for the rest of my life? <laughs> And I think about these things. And when I do, I think about how I was raised. And I think about the support that I've had from my family. And I, I think about the people that shaped me. Um, and I started to think about my dad. I started to think about my father. And his story, when I look at his story and how he chose to do what he did, it fascinated me. Again, it fascinated me. And so I thought... I think this is a good time to have him on the show. Now, I've done a prior show. I did a show with my mother because my mother was a huge influence on the way I see stories, the way I tell stories. She was an influence on the media that I consumed, you know, the movies that I watched. I mean, she introduced me to comic books, you know. Uh, she was a big influence for me. And then I was one of the fortunate people to have two parents, right, to still have two parents within a home. But they were two polar opposites and my mother was obviously the caretaker and she took care of us and she, uh, I learned a lot about life I learned a, a lot about um, how to survive uh, from my mother and my father was different my father uh, was a businessman and my father was someone that was a successful businessman and we'll get into it on the show um, but he chose a path uh, to be a banker to work with money and he chose that pretty early on but the thing that was fascinating about my dad and the thing what if you talk to anybody that talks about him either as a banker or as someone that they know personally is that he's a strange dichotomy he's a businessman but he's an artist and now that he's hit that point in his life when he's retired and he's walked away from banking and he's He's decided to become a full-time artist, or he, he hasn't decided. He decided a long time ago that this was going to be his goal. He's actually given in to that. And as he says in the show, he, you know, murders the banker. 
<laughs> becomes an artist. Um, I was thinking about this stuff and I'm like, this is perfect for the show. Why is this perfect for the show? Well, everybody's like, well, Mike, you just want to have your dad on. You want to talk to your dad. Well, I mean, that's nice to do, but that's not why I want him on the show. I think so many of us are always looking for the right reason to get started. So many of us are looking for a calling. We're looking to follow our dreams and looking for a path, like a set path to follow to become successful in this industry, right? And this industry is very difficult to do so uh, because there is no set fucking path. There is no route to follow. You can look at the uh, routes that other people have taken and have those inspire your route potentially, but there's no A plus B equals C in this business. Uh, on the business side of things, on the nine to five side of things, on the right side of the brain side of things, there is a bit of the path. There is steps that you can follow to get from A plus B equals C. And especially during my dad's generation, the generation prior to us where there was such a thing as working at one place for your entire career. Uh, I don't know if that exists anymore. I don't think it does. It's an interesting world we're living in right now. But I wanted to get a different perspective. And I wanted a perspective for not only the younger listeners on the show, but also the people that are hitting their midlife. For the people that are hitting that point where you're making that call. You're sitting there going like, I've tried this for so long and I really want to fucking do it, but here's the reality. And these are the realities that I'm facing. And, and can I continue? Can I push my way through? Um, and I thought having my dad on the show... Uh, would be great because of his story, right? So stick with it. I know it's an interesting decision to have a guy that worked in banking on our creative show. But uh, as you, I'm sure, have read on all the graphics and stuff, he's gone from being a banker to a cook to an artist and now to, a, to an author, to a published author. Um, it's an interesting story. And I think you guys are going to find a lot of really cool stuff in here. And uh, we talk about life. We talk about inspirations. We talk about motivation. We talk about meditation. Um, we talk about all these really important tools that you can use to fight that anxiety. That you can use to continue to feel inspired to chase your dream. Um, and I'm really excited about it. And I mean, he's... He's uh, got a brand new book out, which uh, I want to talk about on the show. This isn't an ad for his book, uh, but the link will be below. Wink. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm excited to have you guys here. And uh, it's going to be a great episode, so please stick around. And I just want to start by saying that I love you guys, man. Every day I go on Instagram. Every day I get feedback from you guys. Uh, we're getting feedback from you guys through our Reddit, which is really great. Um, super excited that uh, we're able to communicate with you guys, that we're having a dialogue. Uh, you guys have been loving this season. The season's going longer than I would normally do it. I, we'll see how long season two goes for, but I just fucking love it right now. The guests have been great, right? I mean, who have we had on the show? Surprised you with porn stars. <laughs> What'd you guys think of that episode, right? That's a good one. And if you're just tuning in right now, do yourself a favor. Go subscribe to the show. Uh, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or whether it's on Spotify or whatever outlet you're listening to, subscribe. And then go back and look at the weird fucking guests that we get on this show, man. Because this isn't just a show about, here are the tools to be a filmmaker. 
you wanna, if you wanna be a great cinematographer, download my LUTs. That's not what we're doing here, man. We're getting into all the different avenues that surround your life as an artist. Your decision to say goodbye to any sort of stability and jump off the fucking cliff with the rest of us. And as we free fall, look around, see all the amazing shit that you get to witness, see all the really great people that you get to have relationships with. Because this life is a hard life, but this life is a lot of fucking fun. And that's the show. That's what it's about. That's what I'm trying to get season two to be about. So I hope you guys have been enjoying it. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at MyPetchy, or you can follow the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Uh, there you can still leave me some comments. You can still have suggestions, interact with all the posts that I'm doing. It really helps. It really gives us a gauge from you guys on what it is that you like that we're talking about, what, are you, what it is you guys are interested in. But I highly suggest that you continue to uh, have a, a, a solid exchange with us. Like if you want to learn more about the show, if you want to dig deeper into the stuff about the show, if you want to get into a discussion, right? That's what our subreddit's all about. And uh, what's our subreddit again, Liam? r slash in love with the process and i have to ask Leon all the time about it because he's the man running it right now so he's the dude i will chime in when he tells me that i need to but that's where you go to start a conversation with us and that's where you go to learn a bit more and guys bring guys and girls bring shit to it you know you got some really weird stuff that you found if you uh, are really excited about a specific technique bring it there because we're, we're we're looking there you know, and if we see that you guys are talking about something and you guys are interested, I have access. So I will go find out more about it for you. Okay. So definitely go there. Definitely check that stuff out. Um, yeah, let's not, let's not delay the inevitable, shall we? Right. You guys are ready. We're about to dig in deep. We're about to dig into the life of a man who has made multiple decisions. He's gone and lived very a couple of different lives. Um, and it's it's a good story. It's a story that has a great ending. So get ready. Find that comfy place. Throw on those noise-canceling headphones. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Dad, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Mike. How you doing? I am good. It's, uh, it's, it's weird having to do a show over the internet with you. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be our life now. Everything is over the airwaves now. I know, I know. And, uh, you know, what the audience didn't hear was the long process of us making it happen. And I'm very proud of the fact that you were able to get connected to the internet to be able to talk to me. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm, I'm advancing. I, I, <laughs> You're connecting. You're now a millennial. You're now able I'm to now talk to me. Now I'm connecting. <laughs> and just so, just so I can feel your presence here in, in, on Cape Cod, uh -huh. I poured myself two scotches, one for you and one for me. <laughs> and, uh, 
I don't think the technology exists where I can enjoy that other scotch. And well, no, but I'll enjoy it for you. I can I can explain the whole process. Well, yeah. well this three hours difference, man. It's, it sounds like it's scotch time over there in Boston. It's always scotch time. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm, let's get into some details here. I'm excited to have you on the show, and I just I think one of the reasons why I mean, besides the fact. The show isn't going to be about you being my dad, right? I'm fascinated right. in the um, the strange path that you've taken. And I think the listeners of the show are going to be interested in this path as well, where uh, you've gone from being someone who is incredibly focused on one career goal since being in, the t- in your teens, right? You know? Yeah. And yeah. then you pursued that career goal and got to the to the peak point of what you could possibly do in that career goal through your career. Um, and then you just retired recently. You retired, uh, what, last year was it? Or was it the year before? Uh, seven months ago. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so then you just retired. Um, and then the, I think what's interesting about this story is that um, your your goals kind of split, which I think is really fascinating. So... I really want to get into, I think what we should do is start from the beginning. I think we should start um, from uh, where you were, where your original trajectory, trajectory, there's the word, where your original trajectory is. <laughs> Liam's laughing at me. How did I say that? Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> Close. Close. So uh, let's start from the beginning. So you, you, what was your first job? What was your first gig? My first job was in a bank. Really? Um, I, well, actually, my first paying gig. I, I did work for uh, I, I did work for a couple of little odd jobs when I was when I was a teen. But even I guess the very first job was at the bank. I was fourteen, mm-hmm. and uh, I was I was hired to be the um, stock boy. So I was kind of the the grunt. The um, the gopher, um, what would you call that? In, in that would be your, basically like an assistant or a PA, like a personal assistant. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't have a great title like PA, so I was just the grunt. <laughs> uh, I was the gopher. I went for, I went for for ice creams for the girls, I, you know, for the for the uh, tellers, and I was, you know, as they say, lower than wheel shit on the bottom of the ocean. I was like the, the bottom. <laughs> they were way way down. How did you? And, how did you? How did you get that gig? How did you get in there? to uh, take that job nepotism is great uh (laughs) my mother worked my mother was the secretary to the uh to the president and so they you know they needed they used to hire kids after school to um to stock stock the shelves with with, um, you know envelopes and crap like that so um she got me the gig. I, I used to actually, even before that, when she, they used to do, um, they used to do work tax, usually taxes once a year and stuff like that, for, that the bank had to do back in the day, everything was manual. And so, mm-hmm. um, they would go in once a year to do certain things. And I, as a little kid, I, I, I went in and we used to play in the lobby while they were doing their, their stuff. So I, I grew, I, I kind of grew up in that thing, but um, uh, but I, then I started after, after school at 14 mm-hmm. and, and I stayed in that, I retired, uh, 51 years later in, in banking. I kept that, that 
community banking role and just did everything that I could throughout the 51 years that I worked in, in, in many different banks. <laughs> right. No, for sure. So like when you, when you were 15, right. So you was, was that when you got introduced to what that career could look like or were you introduced that at a younger age? And then what was your, what was your dream at that point? What was your goal? Well, actually, it was funny because when I, you know, when I was fourteen, I, I was still still young. As I as I got into high school, um, I went to I, I went to an all boys uh, school, Boston Technical High School, and uh, it was one of the uh, entrance exam schools, so um, uh, magnet school. So we had all all kids from all over Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the 60s. It was the late 60s, very turbulent times. We had all kinds of issues. And we were uh, in the middle. Uh, the, the school was in the middle of Roxbury. So it was quite an education for me. I had to, I had to hop on a bus from, from Brighton. It was, it was about an hour, mm-hmm. <clears throat> an hour to get to school in the morning. Um, but by that time, by the time I was in high school, um, I had already thought about my career as possibly being a banker. Mm-hmm. So I was the only kid in this school of 2,000 kids um, that wore a three-piece suit to school. I had a three-piece <laughs> suit and, and and a briefcase, you know. And, and um, what a little nerd! Uh, <laughs> so you went to you went to school you went to school in a three-piece suit in Roxbury. So you went to school in, in Roxbury. Roxbury. You, yeah, you know, they were, they were, because it was an entrance, you know, it, it was kind of attracted the uh, the higher kids that, that couldn't get into Latin school, um, ended up going to, to, to Boston Tech. Yeah. And um, and so <laughs> there were probably, I don't know, maybe a, um, in the school of two, 2,000 um, white kids we were in the middle of they were there were probably 150 black kids but we were in the middle of roxbury it was um it was really really tough times uh you know uh, socially yeah with all the unrest socially, that was happening. Uh, martin luther king was killed and, yeah. uh, robert kennedy was killed yeah uh we we ended up there was so much political unrest we had uh, the national guard down to protect us to to uh, it, it was it was quite a scene back in the day and um, and here, yeah, here's this this nerd. However, <laughs> however, I use that to my advantage. And most of the kids in the class, because my name was Petchy, and because I was in a three piece suit, they thought I was the the son of a mafia don or something <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> so I was always like the class the class uh, um, rep. I was the I was the senior class vice president. I was on the student council. I was always doing, I was always in a leadership role. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't screw with me because I was not, I was not a big, big guy, but, uh, but they, you know, but they were, they were, they were afraid that they'd wake up with a horse head in their bed. Essentially. <laughs> exactly. You know, they, they were smart enough to know maybe he's connected some way or another, you know? And, uh, so, uh, uh-huh. uh-huh. I use that to my advantage. I use that in my advantage. <laughs> okay so then uh you uh you go into uh banking so you get this job and obviously if you're wearing a three-piece suit to high school you're very you're very serious about this you probably took that job incredibly seriously and then 
Um, well, I did, I did, but also I, you, you also have to understand uh, this was the time of um, the Beatles. Sgt. Pepper's came out, uh-huh. and uh, and so I thought I could I could kind of bridge the gap, and, and I showed up at, at work uh, in a. Nehru jacket, a uh, lime green Nehru jacket with, with glove beads, and uh, was promptly told to go home and change. <laughs> so I, I didn't fit in there, and I didn't fit in at school. It was like, you know, I was kind of floating in between. I didn't know where I was going with this thing. Also, at, at that point, I, I, should, I should preface this whole thing. Is I, was very much in, I was very much into art at that time, uh-huh. and, uh, and so... Um, so I had this whole artistic side of me too. Um, well, where did, where did that come from? Because I mean, I know a little bit more than the audience knows, obviously, but like where, where did, uh, cause I I know your family life wasn't very artistic. Where did you end up finding your artistic inspirations? No, I think, um, you know, I, I think it was an escape for me. I, I love, I always loved art. And so um, I ended up signing up, I probably was 10, and I, I convinced my mother to sign me up to go to the Museum of Fine Arts um, kids program. Huh. And uh, so I would go on Sunday mor- uh, Saturday mornings, and I'd take the trolley at 10. You, you know, it, you can't even think of that now, but I would take the trolley from Brighton and I'd go, I'd go in to get to the uh, MFA. At 10. At 10. At 10. At 10. Oh, God yeah. Damn. Are you kidding? Yeah, I used yeah. to, you know, at, at 10 or 12, you, you, we'd get on public transportation. The trolley was right there. So I'd take the trolley and the tra- a couple of trains, get go to Riviera Beach for the day, you know, and tell my mother I was down the street with, you know, with friends. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so, but, but we were, we were, we were very um, um, portable back then. And, and we could... We could ride our bikes anywhere, but we could also we took we we took the the train public transportation anywhere. Yeah, and so um, so we were always going with it. So 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 then so so then you convinced her to go to the museum school, right? I developed that 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 taste for art, and I would sit on, on Sunday Saturday mornings and in the in the great gallery in the museum of fine arts and just be mesmerized by, by all this art that was on the walls to, everywhere. And, uh, I, I had such a, pa- I think I had such a passion for it that, um, my mother actually, uh, got me to, um, uh, to have private, uh, art lessons from, uh, our Tony, my Aunt Tony, uh-huh. and uh, who was a fabulous artist in, in her own right, and uh, she was such a kind and giving woman that uh, it opened it opened up all my senses to the art to to the art world. Very cool. So, all right. So then, I think that's good history. Also, by the way, for the audience at home, I think we need to point out the fact that um, Dad is uh, doing this interview in the middle of Jurassic Park. <laughs> I think that's why you're hearing chirping dinosaur birds that are in that space right now. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, but, okay, so then you get this job. You're at the bank, 15 years old. You, you're, you're, you're looking there. Did you have a goal at that point? Was there something that... Like, where did you want to be in the bank? Did you want to be a teller? Like, what was your 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 push? 
No, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess my big push was, was to be a teller. Um, and that was, um, you know, I, I couldn't become a teller until I was old enough to be bonded by an insurance company. So that was, that was about 16 and a half, maybe 17. Um, so I did odd jobs. I did all kinds of stuff that I could. And then finally I became a teller and, and, uh, and I, and I set as a goal for myself to be the best that I could possibly be and the best that there ever was. So I was going to be the best teller there ever was, you know? And for me, that was, that was the goal was really to, to become a teller. Uh-huh. I didn't have asper. I didn't have, I didn't have the high aspirations at that point in time because I was also into music. And, uh, so, so when I ended up finally, um, uh, college age and I, uh, my senior year, thinking about where I was going to go for college, um, I ended up applying at, uh, at the Conservatory of Music and Berkeley uh, School of Music in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I also thought, well, because of the banking end of it, I'd, I'd uh, apply to Bentley as well, Bentley uh, College, which is now Bentley University. But uh, so I went, it ended up that I decided I love music, but I hate I hate practicing. Uh, you know, there's so much involved there, and you're going to starve. Um, I loved art, but I felt that I didn't want to be a starving artist either. Mm-hmm. Both of those both of those uh, evocations um, uh, I could do as hobbies, mm-hmm. and I decided on going uh, for for um, accounting and in the business world and pursuing my career as a, as a, a banker. And it was at that point in time when I started going, uh, actually going to school <clears throat> for business and accounting mm-hmm. that I, I set my goal as being, uh, the president of the bank. Wow. And so that's that, that's that pivotal moment. You know what I mean? Where it seems like you had, you were inspired by two different paths, which I think a lot of the listeners of this show are. And I think uh, your your process was fascinating because, like you said, I didn't want to be a starving artist. You're being very logical about that sort of decision. And then you decided to do the the ultimate in nine to five stuff. You know, you're basically going and, and having to live in the complete opposite of an artistic world at that point. Like banking, when you think banking, you think, you know, the stiffest of the stiff, like three-piece suits, you know, money exchanges, accounting, like it's the complete antithesis of, of it, an artist. It is. And, and so that, that dominated my life, um, for my years in college. Uh-huh. And so I got to my third year in college. And at that point I had, I had progressed quite a, quite, quite a bit and the bank had, said had offered to me um a a a job as the bookkeeper Uh um and which to me was a a huge step up um and oh i'm sorry no i i I had progressed through bookkeeper at that time they had they had offered me a job as the internal auditor which was a big deal wow and um but i still had a year to go before i graduated so I accepted the I accepted the job for a phenomenal salary. 
$10,000 a year. And um, at that point in time, <clears throat> all my all my friends, when they finally graduated the year later, yep. that uh, came out of Bentley, they were they were starting out at eight thousand. So I was already a couple of thousand ahead of them. But uh, so I took that 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 last year, finished up uh, my my classes uh, during the day. I would take a few classes and then go to go to work. Uh, I take classes at night. I took classes on the weekend. So I was able to graduate with with my class. Um, and But at the time, I got out. I had uh, already my job. Yep. And while, while everybody else was kind of scurrying around for less pay. So I, I had already jumped ahead of most of my, my college buddies anyway. So the, the and, so the little the little nerd with his three piece suit, <laughs> you know, you know, ends up yeah. ends up making it work, which I think is yeah. great. Which is great. So that at this point, you're you're essentially totally in. Obviously, right? You got a good paying job. You're ahead of the rest of the people that you're out there for, and then you're just full throttle in this lifestyle. So you're you end up uh, meeting mom, you get married, you have kids, you buy a house. Like you're, you're the nine to five. You're like the, I had, I had laid that whole, that whole plan out. I, you know, like she, she ended up, I met her at the bank. She, she worked next to me. I, I, uh, um, we hated each other. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole story, but, uh, <laughs> she, she just couldn't, she just could not understand this, this nerd that, uh, Oh, the other fact that I really enjoyed about the whole banking world was there weren't many guys in, 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 in the in the bank, and really? so there were all these all these women that I worked with, and that that could be a chore, and, and it was it was also fun too. But um, <laughs> a little charmer so, at that point. <laughs> it was like, so yeah. So so mom, you know, mom always loves to tell the story. You know, she would she would be there. She hated my guts, and she would see um, when I was coming in after school. Or, you know, all the all the ladies would be dousing themselves with perfume because I, because I was coming in, and you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I was like the piece of meat there, I guess. I don't know, but uh, it was just, and of course, this was this was now the the seventies, uh, and it was pretty pretty wild anyway. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but we, I finally convinced her. I finally won her over because I really fell for her when I first met her. But I, I won her over, and so. Prior to my graduating from college, I had already set the plan down. I sat it down and I, you know, she, she'll tell the story again that I never proposed to her. I just, I proposed the, the plan, and, you know, opening the accounts <laughs> and buying the house and having the kid. She said, well, what about the marriage? Oh yeah, well, we'll do that too. And, you know, <laughs> so, so I had this all mapped out before, before I graduated college. But, and, and so then right after college, um, that was in 76, uh-huh. uh, we got married and, uh, then we had maybe two years, um, together yeah, and then all of a sudden, Bing, 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 Bing. We had, we had. Well, we we had before we got married. I, I bought the house, and uh, so we so we had a house. We we had the car. We had you know, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years, we got we got you, and then and then it just and then it just took off. In the matter of five years, we had four kids, and uh, you know, yep. I yep. Had, I had progressed my my. My career and and just kept working my way up 
and taking advantage of, of uh, uh, every opportunity I could. Yep. We, uh, so hold sorry. on. So at this point, this is a strange story for a lot of people of this generation at this point, because that really doesn't exist that much anymore. Like the opportunity, no. the idea to get into a career path and the idea to be able to set that kind of plan and make that kind of money in a nine to five scenario is, is, is virtually impossible. It just doesn't fucking exist anymore, which right. is, which is right. so fascinating. Um, and that was a whole different time period because Growing up, we were middle class. We were maybe upper middle class, but we're middle class at that point. And this is a whole structure of our society that has essentially been erased right now. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's fascinating. You know, I, I, I didn't have I didn't have the, the student loans that we that we have today. Uh, we we bought we bought my I I did have some student loans outstanding that I that I did pay off, um, but at the time, you know. Bentley College, I was getting a degree in accounting, um, and it was uh, $3,200 a year, you know, <laughs> to, to go to, to go to, to go there. I bought my first brand new car, you know, when I, when I now starting to make money, I bought a, a brand new, uh, um, Olds Cutlass, mm-hmm. um, you know, all pimped out and everything. It was pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> and, uh, I think I paid 30, 3,200 for that. Um, so you could see the, 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 the cost of an education, a year's education was equivalent to a brand new car, you know, so you try to figure that today, it, 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 it you can see the, the, the disparity. Today. Yeah, no, it's out of control today. And we talk about you know, that I, on the show all the time. It's out yeah, of fucking we, control. We bought out, we, we ended up, so we were able to buy, uh, buy a house. I paid $35,000 for, for our house in Framingham and, and, uh, um, we were on our way, and so um, it was living the living the dream. I guess I was living my dream. Mm-hmm. You know, mom, mom, I was able to convince her to to come along for the ride, um, and she was. You know, I think she she mentioned in your podcast she she wasn't having any kids, and uh, yeah. here we were. All of a sudden, we had four, and and um, you know, it just it became it became quite an experience. So <clears throat> I remember growing up from the young age, like you were always busy during the week because you were completely immersed, obviously in this, in this career path. And it's a hard career path. I mean, you had set your goals to be a president of a bank at a young age. And that's a, yeah. that's a, that's a hike to get up to, to. I mean, you're essentially trying to reach the top of that system, which is fascinating. Um, I remember that you were definitely we we would hang out on the weekends and I think I think the interesting dichotomy with you was that on the weekends you would come home and you were always cooking you were always a chef you were always doing artistic stuff whether it was helping us with our school plays or projects or introducing me to music and all these different things um, which was the complete opposite. And did you feel like on the weekends, like you would just sort of shed the outfit of one person and then pick up the outfit of somebody else? Or was it, was, did you keep those at work too? Did you have two different lives? Like how did that work? It was, it was a way of, for me to, to keep in touch with the artistic side of me. And I didn't want to give that up. I put, I put it up, I put it on the shelf yep. for a long time. Yep. Um, and it, and 
I think like anything uh, that is, you're truly passionate about, if you if you stifle it or you put it on the shelf for a, length, a long time, it bursts forward. At some point, it bursts forward, and uh, and it and it comes out. For me, that was I was I was in my mid mid thirties, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's when everything I think pretty much became crazy for me. What are you talking at this point? This is like midlife crisis kind of stuff. This right? was a, my. I, this was when I had my midlife crisis. I um, at the time I was doing quite well. I was uh, I was the executive vice president of, of a bank and. On on the fast track, I was the number two number two person. Um, we had at this point we had two homes. We had the house down here and the house in Framingham. Um, everything was everything was going great. It was the mid. It was the it was the late eighties eighty seven. Right, Reagan time um, at that point. So everything. Yeah, was... you know, so everything was riding high. You know, yeah, yeah, people yeah. were. People were making money left and right. Yep. Uh, I was making a I was making a damn good salary, and uh, and we we ended up uh, um, buying the house down here, able to spend the summers down here and weekends, and uh, so we created that that whole dynamic, and um, but putting that stifling that artistic side to me, um, just. I think became it almost became unbearable because, although I didn't know it at the time, yeah. But um, then everything collapsed. Everything collapsed. I ended up we um, we had issues with with uh, uh, the board of the bank that I was working at, and next thing I know, um, I've lost the job. Yep. The economy all of a sudden tanked. Yep. Late '80s, the the economy went was, was really a shit, and you know everything that I had worked for, everything that I had set my goal for, seemed to to crumble. Mm. I still, you know, I, I had my family, but I had the pressures of I had the pressures of, of two homes. I had uh, you know four four uh, six miles to feed. <laughs> Um, and yep. you know, there, there was a, a extreme pressure there. Luckily I got a job very quickly. I, I actually, I was, I moved over to become, I was, I was to become president of, of a small, a much smaller bank, but it was again, a step in the, in the right direction that I wanted to go. And then found out, uh, within, within six months of being there that the, that the bank was in terrible, terrible trouble. And uh, so I, I, I did become president, probably one of the youngest presidents uh, uh, up to that, that point in time. Um, but I was the captain of the Titanic. The freaking thing was going down the, you know, going down the tube. Right. So I, so, so I, was, I was allowed to, to ride that out until we closed the bank. Um, was that was time. that your first point that you became? Was that your dream position? Was that when you became the president? You became a president of a sinking ship at that point? No, my 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 dream had become a nightmare. Yeah, it had become a nightmare. I had become I had I had got the title, but the circumstances behind it was so horrendous. Yeah, that it it cost it cost me a piece of my soul, but it. 
it cost me my health. Um, it, it was just, it was the worst. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. I, and actually, you know, it was a sour victory for me because yeah, the, of course. the title, the title meant nothing to me. And I knew that I knew the bank was, was, was going to be gone and they just needed the, t- they needed somebody with the title uh, to write it out, to hold it together until it was sold off to somebody else, which um, it, it helped me with my reputation in, in banking. Got it. Um, because I stayed, I stayed true to my, to my morals and I, and I had to make decisions that were pretty tough and to keep, you know, to try to keep this bank from, from imploding, uh, dramatically. But, uh, um, so I gained a lot of, I gained a lot of street cred from, from the regulators, from my fellow bankers. And, uh, so with that, I was able to jump to another job, um, which was lower on the totem pole, much uh, half, half the salary. Yeah. But, you know, again, I, I, I had to rework my way up the ladder until I finally made it to the president of that bank. But, um, so, but hold a, on to interrupt you. So yeah. then all of this, this, this is like the perfect ingredients for a midlife crisis, right? So you, mm-hmm. you've set this goal, you've had this goal since you were a kid and you, yep. fi- you finally reach that goal and then the economy's shitting out. And then it's, it turns out that whatever the hell's happening at that bank, uh, has now put you, it's demystified this, this dream for you. So it's like, I remember this period. I remember this time period. I remember how much yeah. stress was on you yeah. in this time period. And, um, was this, was this that point? Like, how did, this how did you hand, how did you handle that midlife crisis? This was the point where you probably remember the, me sinking down onto the floor, the ambulance coming. I was in the, I was in the hospital for, for several days. Yeah. Um, with, with the idea that I would probably had a heart attack or whatever. Um, but then throughout that whole process, they, they pretty much said it was all in my head. It was pretty much the stress. So stress can do such a number on you mentally, but it also physically. Physically, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, so I ended up um, totally at my, my lowest. And, and it, took, it took a long, long time to um, health-wise for me to build up, build my confidence back up and and, uh, but at that point in time, mom, you know, mom said to me, look, why, you know, forget this whole, this whole bank thing, this, this goal that you have, you know, you, 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 you got there and, and it's been taken away from you. You know, why don't you reconnect with the things you love best, you know, mm-hmm. reconnect with the family, reconnect with, with your art. Um, and so that's when she said, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I've signed you up for, I signed Michael up for, for uh, an art course, and I want you to go with him. <laughs> what, a, so, what, a, what a manipulator. <laughs> oh, you know, she always is. You know? Yeah, totally. But God damn, she, God damn, she's always right. You know, but, I, but don't tell her that. Don't tell her. <laughs> no, no, because at that same time, she was doing the same thing for me. That it was at that oh, time yeah. where I was kind of lost, and I, and I, what was I like, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, or something? I, can't I think remember. you were fifteen. I think you were fifteen at the time. Yeah, and yeah. so she yeah. signed, and I think she, the only way she got me to agree 
to sign up for the art class is that you were going to take the art class as well. And, and it was happening during the week. Which it was. It was it was at night, during the week at night. Yeah, so as a kid, as a 15-year-old, I never because you were working all the time, we never really hung out during yeah. the week. So yeah. she enticed me by being like, you, this is a special thing. I don't even know if she had pitched it to you yet. This is a special thing that you and your father no, get she, to do together. He never pitched it to me. She just said, this is happening and you're going you're going you're going to go take him. What a manipulative yeah. person. <laughs> Um, but you know it's yeah. it's fascinating, and I'll, we'll get into this. But um, this was a turning moment in my life. You know, this was a moment where um, you know I had I've talked about this on the show where I was reading comic books. I was big into comic books, but I was looking for direction. I was looking for something, and I wasn't a sports kid, and I I, I didn't give a shit about any of those things. Um, and then being introduced to this this class setup, actually going as a child, fifteen year old kid going to a museum school with my dad and being equals in the class together because we both yes. were at that same level and then being mixed in with other adults that were equals at that level did so much for my confidence as far as like being an artist and being I mean it helps me even today as a director it, oh yeah I, like I can that, I can see that yeah, yeah completely and but so so then she tells you that you're going to take an art class. So what does that? What does this do for you? Well, first of all, I, I, it showed me the inequality of the whole thing because she signed you up for a new drawing class, and she and and I was signed up with some some vanilla painting class or whatever. <laughs> so we weren't in, we weren't even in the same class. But uh, <laughs> but what but what it did for me was that it. It reawakened the seeds in me that were my my all of the, the wonderful things that I had experienced in my earlier days having to do with art. Mm-hmm. And it just got me to understand that there was more to to life than the grind, the nine to five grind. Yep. I think it it reactivated the left side of my brain and so um, uh, I was able now to to still be the banker, mm-hmm. but the, but but I, as you remember, I devoted a lot of time, and I would I would come home, you know, I I'd leave in the morning at, at uh, uh, five or six o'clock in the morning or whatever, and and I wouldn't get home until uh, until seven at least, and and mm-hmm. uh, and then there were times that I that I'd be painting until midnight, you know, and and uh, really getting into it, you mm-hmm. know, and it was just, it just really opened my eyes to the art world. Right. But, and, and then at this point, this is transforming you. I mean, just being a kid in the house, like we've gone from you being a banker and you, you know, still involved with us artistically on like book reports and class projects and cooking and that whole thing to like suddenly you setting up a room at the house and becoming a painter, becoming an artist in this space. Yes. And so yes. seeing yeah. that as a child, seeing that that difference, seeing that clash and that change was fascinating because most people never... A midlife crisis for a lot of people is, I need to go buy a fucking fast car. I need to go buy right. something. I, I need to change my life. Maybe I have to go you know, get a mistress or leave my wife or or whatever mm-hmm. that sort of thing is. Yeah. It was interesting to see 
a healthier version of this uh, and watching you transform in this, in this way, which was fascinating. It, it actually, it actually allowed me to almost split myself in half. You know, I now I had the, the, the banker half and I had the, the artist half and um, um, I kind of liked the, I, I liked re, re, um, re, adjusting mm-hmm. or, or just being reintroduced to to the artist side again you know it, uh, uh, mm-hmm. everything that I did after that was with an artistic bend to it you know even even on the even on the business side um, I've always been known as a re- very rare commodity a banker with an artistic side that somebody that uses both sides of the brain. Usually it's, you're either debit, you know, you're either debit and credit or you're artsy fartsy, you know, but, you, right. but never the twain should meet. But, but I was able to bridge that gap. And so I was able to use the, the banker in me on my, on my art world. And I was able to use my art world uh, in my banker life. All right, gang, it's that time. It's that time to uh, spread some love, right? It's that time to give some love to the men and women who support this show. And I am not just talking about you guys, because I I give you love all the time. I'm literally sitting here working for free for you guys. This is love, right? But what I'm talking about is our sponsors, the people that support this show, the people that give us money. So that way we can keep the show running and uh, very happy with the sponsors we have and the partnerships that we have. And we continue to build and expand and grow. So I'm very excited with all this stuff because of you guys and because you guys click on the fucking links. Click on the links. I don't know how else to say it. If you listen to the show and you like the show, click on the fucking links. Click on the links in the description. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Click on the links in inlovewiththeprocess.com. Why? Why am I asking you to do such a laborious step? Why am I asking you to take so much time out of your day to do something like this? Because my sponsors track those links. If they see that you guys are interested, they see you guys are doing this, they're going to continue to be sponsors on the show. So do it. That's the best way to support us. Okay. That being said, first up, my good buddies, the boys from Puget Systems. I love these guys. Uh, all of them. Eric, John, you guys know. You know what's up. I'm showing you. I'm, I'm throwing shout-outs today to you guys. If you are a young filmmaker, photographer, if you're a young sound mixer, if you're just someone that plays video games all day and wastes your fucking life and you need a brand new computer, right? Your old computer is lagging. You're getting that fucking beach ball of death. And uh, you realize that you just don't have the hardware. The hardware is not staying up to date with all these constant software updates that continuously put our hardware out of date. Oh, it's a nightmare. Especially if you're trying to start up a company. Especially if you're trying to make a profit off your gear. You ever notice that? You ever notice how we're like Indiana Jones just desperately trying to stay in front of that giant ball called the fucking corporations that continuously keep us in debt? Oh. Anyway, if you're looking for something good, if you're looking for something new, you need a brand new computer, you want something that is going to last more than two years, 
You want there to you want it to be sitting on your desk for at least five years before it gets thrown into that fucking floating ocean out in China. I highly suggest you think differently. No longer in this business do you have to have a specific manufacturer in order to be a professional. That propaganda has been debunked. You can now own a PC. PCs do the exact same thing. PCs are more affordable. PCs are customizable. PCs are upgradable. And I know that you're at home going, but PCs crash all the time. No, they don't, right? They're, they're both the same. Both systems are the same. They're both folder-based operating systems. I don't know how to use a PC. Yeah, you do. You know how to click on a folder? You know how to click on an icon? Boom, good to go, right? All the same programs run on both systems. If you're using Adobe Creative Suite, both systems. We've now hit a point where there aren't restrictions placed by another manufacturer on the codecs that you can use. So you can now run out ProRes on PC. You can now run out whatever it is that you want if you're at video editing. It's fan-fucking-tastic, right? Check them out. Now, I know you're saying, I don't know how to build the PC, Michael. I have no idea where to even start with that. And I go, I completely understand you. So here's what I did for you. I did the hunt because I needed the same thing. I looked for the best place to buy a computer that comes in a box that I can open up, set up, turn on, and have great customer support and save money on and be able to use that extra money to put in those extra third-party hardware pieces that we need to make shit work the way we need it to work. Let's be real, right? I found these dudes called Puget Systems. If you go to PugetSystems.com, there you can buy a baseline package by choosing the software that you use or that you will potentially use. So, hey, Premiere, boop, gives you a dropdown. You then choose a baseline system. They'll offer that up. You can customize your system at that point, and you can talk to them directly to do so. How cool is that? Doesn't it feel like we've gone back in time? What is this, the early 2000s, the late 90s, where you're actually calling someone on the phone and they're actually picking up the phone? Holy shit. I know a lot of you who don't like to talk to people might feel a bit of anxiety. You can still send them emails. You don't have to have a phone conversation for those of you who like to text and hide behind icons and emojis and and GIFs. I said GIF. (laughs) I'm on a tirade. Go check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. There you can build a perfect, beautiful, fast PC that you're going to love and use. I use their systems. I have cut everything that I've done in the past five years on a PC. Holy shit. On a PC, guys. So think about that. All right? Go check them out. PugetSystems.com. Next up. The support from our good pals over at Quasar Science, one of the best, newest upgrades that have happened in our industry is in cameras, right? Cameras have always been taking the limelight. Oh my God, what kind of chip do you have? Is this 8K? Is this 12K? Is this 24K? Is this going to make my movie good? Who the fuck cares now? Because cameras have gotten so good that you can shoot with a fucking iPhone at this point, right? So the next question is, what am I putting in front of that camera? That is the most important part. Who am I casting? What is the wardrobe? What is the stuff? What does the lighting look like? And if you're looking at all these productions, if you're watching these great series on Netflix, if you're one of those assholes that likes that fucking show, you, I can't stand that show. I don't know why that show is so popular. Have you watched that show, Liam? No. It's called You. Everybody fucking loves it. People that I respect love it. And I'm like, it's a goddamn fucking soap opera. 
It's called You, and it's got a little slash in it, and the words are broken up. It's a fucking soap opera. I don't care how you put it. You watch it, and everybody's like, dun, 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 and they do the camera coverage, looks over, looks over, and he does some really fucking lame voiceover for the whole thing. Gina loves the show. That's why I'm on this fucking rant, because I had to listen to it last night. I couldn't go to sleep. I had to listen to this bullshit voiceover, and then everybody's like, I fucking love this show. Get some taste. God damn it. Anyway, if you do watch that show, the one thing I'll give it credit for is the fact that it looks really pretty. And that's because of the lighting. And the advancements of lighting right now have been so insane in our industry. A lot of LED units, a lot of uh, smaller units, units that are run on battery power, units that can show all these different colors from the rainbow. Um, we've done a whole episode on this. You can go back and listen to the episode with Tim from Quasar. Quasar Science makes these amazing LED units. And if you're someone that's looking to change the way your images look, if you're looking to add production value to your stuff, and you don't have access to amazing production designers, you don't have access to locations that are amazing, get your hands on some great lights, great cinematic lights. And I highly suggest you go check out Quasar Science because they they make these tubes, they make bicolor tubes, they make uh, uh, RGB, uh, rainbow LEDs, they do amazing stuff. Uh, the prices are very affordable. They're compact. They're small. They can fit in the back of your tiny little hatchback. They can fit in the back on your lap while you're taking a Lyft or an Uber to your job. So go check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. All right. Um, let's see. Okay. I have to promote, and I'm happy to do so, Industry Jump. Now, we have formed a bit of a partnership. A partnership. What a douche. We have formed a bit of a partnership with Industry Jump. So if you go to industryjump.com, there you will find a global community of verified filmmakers providing the next generation of filmmakers with the resources required to grow their business, learn new skills, and manage their careers. You can sign up for free at industryjump.com. You can create a verified portfolio, search for film crew and hire that you want to hire for your next project and learn from top tier creators in the industry through live video mentoring. So if you're not getting what you want out of me on this show because I am the best mentor there is, no, I'm not. What do I fucking know? Then you should go over to Industry Jump and specifically search for somebody who doesn't say fuck all the time, because maybe I offend you. So check them out. Go to industryjump.com, or you can check them out on Instagram. That's how I found them. Was that, I think it's just at, at industryjump on Instagram. Um, but these guys love us. We love them. They're promoting our show. A lot of you that are coming to the show are coming from Industry Jump already. Welcome to the show. I know it's a little weird, a little unsettling, but I hope you stick around. All right? So check them out. Now, if you want to support the show, I could use the support. We're going to try to be uh, creating new content. We're going to be tr uh, creating specific content made for you guys to purchase. We're creating uh, merch. We'll be doing all sorts of stuff. There's a bunch of different ways as we progress into the future for you to su support the show. But as of now, for right now, there are a bunch of easy ways to do so. And I just got a check. Because of you guys, I just got paid, which was fantastic because a lot of you did the audible thing, right? 
We, the man, we beat the man and we got a fucking check. They sent me a check yesterday. And thank you for everybody who signed up for Audible because that goes right into the fucking show. I'm just letting you know right now, this isn't wasted shit. When I talk to you about these things and I ask you to do these things, they fucking work. So do them, please, if you love us, okay? And what I'm talking about right now is signing up for a trial, a free trial at audible.com. So if you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process, there you can sign up for a 30-day free trial, which comes with a free audiobook. And uh, you'll be able to support the show because everybody that signs up for a trial that hasn't done so already. So if you listen to other podcasts, a lot of podcasts have this sort of sponsorship opportunity. So if you've done this on another show, you can't do it again. But if you haven't done it yet, and if you haven't checked out Audible, I highly suggest it because the audiobooks are really great. I mean, dad's talking about his book on this show. I'm one of those guys that listens to audiobooks. He's got to get up with the shit. He's got to get his shit on Audible. Because <laughs> I'm that's probably the only way I'm gonna get through his whole book. <laughs> I know he's listening to this episode. He's gonna be like, dude, come on. I need to sell my yeah, I get it. All right. So anyway, uh Audible trial. So if you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process, sign up 30 days, free trial, free book. Um, and then you'll be have access to all sorts of really good stuff. They do really great audiobooks on there. Um, and then after 30 days, if you like it, stick around. You probably will. If you don't like it, cancel it. Won't cost you a fucking dime. And even if you cancel it, we still get paid. Good deal, right? I don't think I'm supposed to tell you that back part, but that's the reality. Let's part the curtain. I still get paid, even if you cancel after 30 days. So go check it out. Go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. The link will be below with all the other links, okay? Uh, the other thing that uh, we're still doing is that deal for Capital One. So if you go to in love with the process, dot com backslash sponsors there you'll find a couple of graphics for capital one we have two deals with two different credit cards it's either the venture card or the venture one card here's the difference the venture card uh you have to pay a 95 dollar annual fee now let me just stop here because i forgot to do the intro that i usually do for this if you're someone that doesn't know how to handle your finances if you're someone that's addicted to buying things right? If you're someone that at the end of the month, you continue to stack money on a credit card and you continue to pay boatloads of interest, right? If you're trapped under this, then don't do this. Please stay away from this. You probably won't even get approved for this. So don't even bother doing this. But if you're somebody who is looking to build credit, if you're somebody who's starting your own business, if you're someone that rents a lot of gear, hey, if you're someone that rents a lot of gear, if you have a big expense that has to go on a credit card that you're going to get paid for entirely by your client, it's a good time to sign up for one of these. And here's why. Sign up for the Venture Card, which comes with a $95 annual fee, but you get a sign-up bonus, right? Which is, A, you get two times the miles per dollar on every purchase every day. So every dollar you spend, it's two miles per. Uh, and if you spend $3,000 or more on purchases within the first three months, you earn a bonus of 50,000 miles. That equates to $500 in credit towards travel. So if you spend money on lifts, if you buy a plane ticket, uh, you can use those bonus miles that you've earned to write that off to zero. So it becomes a free ticket, right? It's really great. Uh, if you're someone that doesn't have a big, if, you don't, if you're not someone that spends a lot of money, 
go for the other card. The Venture One card comes with no annual fee. What you get from that is 1.25 miles per dollar on every purchase every day. And if you spend $1,000 on purchases within the first three months, you get 20,000 bonus miles, which equals $200. I got both these cards. That was how I was able to pay for my trip out here to look for housing because I had a couple of jobs where I had rental fees that need to come through, so I put them on a brand new credit card. I got the bonus miles. I was able to pay them off immediately because I got paid by the client. I got re reimbursed by the client and I got bonus miles. Be smart, look into this stuff. It works out really well. I think you guys will dig it. Um, so that's it. Those are our reads for the show today. Uh, let's get right back into it with that. All right, see you. Just to give some context here, you know, you're a Boston kid. You're born in Boston. You're raised in Brighton. Um, yeah. That's your heritage. Like, uh, your parents, did they come off the boat or were they second generation oh, no, off the no. boat? They were. No, no, no. It, it, it's, and it's, it's so incredible where I am today uh, to look back. And, you know, my, my grandparents came off the boat. From um, from where? Where did they come from? They came. This is the funny thing. They came to America, and Italy was completely forgotten. Hmm. And so, growing up, I would ask my father, "Where did where did Grandpa come from?" Nobody knew. It was like that curtain was closed when they when they left. Italy. Yeah. That curtain was closed. We were American. We all, we spoke American. We had nothing to do with Italy. Italy was the boot. But other than that, you know, I could find it on a map, but there wasn't any any draw for me. Yeah. Um uh, and and you know growing up, we never had anything Italian. Oh, I mean, I I I I was a good cook, so we always we always cooked Italian, but but it was we didn't have the Italian flag, or we didn't, you know, we were not uh, idiot. <laughs> we you know. weren't, we weren't either like authentic Italians, and our driveway wasn't full of eye rocks either, and there weren't like wife beaters outside. <laughs> like it's, no, it was like we no. were very much an American family growing up at that point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, so, th so that whole connection with with the old country, with Italy, was never was never. Um, available to me i didn't it was foreign to me yeah. I, it, I never even thought to ask about it you know so then how, so then how did italy come back in how did italy find its way into your life well so so here's where it gets strange here's where it really gets freaking strange <laughs> um we <clears throat> through the art class mm -hmm. i went to as, as uh, you you were dealing you were dealing with with michael darling at, um uh, in the in the drawing class, and I had gone to another class which was was mediocre. But uh, so I ended up switching to to Michael's class uh, maybe a year later. Mm -hmm. um, and through that class, we started um, getting in touch with ourselves more to get on on the artistic level to to try to get in touch with our vision. I took some visioning classes. Mm -hmm. um, to get in touch with my artistic vision, to see where I wanted my art to go. And it was during that time that uh, 
we started doing in these classes, we were doing journeying. We were doing all kinds of what my banker self would say, some re- real, real weird shit. You know? I, I know it's hard. It's hard for me not to roll my eyes on this end. <laughs> it, well, you know, I did. I did a lot. Believe me, I did an, a lot of eye rolling, and I thought to myself, you know, this fucking hocus pocus shit. You know, this is like kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, but I ended up trying to. I wanted to improve myself as an artist, mm-hmm. and I felt that this this uh, let, let's go with this thing. So we started doing journeying, and at the time, I also started keeping journals. Right. So I have all these journals that, where I was writing things down, I was making sketches, I was uh, doing poetry. Oh my God, I was I was doing poetry. I was doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. As we were doing our journeys, I started to connect. I had a deeper connection uh, with my past, okay. and. And again, at that time, I still had not really asked any kind of questions of my family of what what the hell was going on. I did have stories that that were told, but um, basically, everything changed for me. Yep, it drastically changed. Like it was, it was like almost over overnight. Um, I started, I started to morph into something different. My, I, I, I touched base with something that I felt was leading me. But my painting, all of a sudden, all my paintings started to change. Huh. And I was I was painting um, Tuscan landscapes, um, places, places that I had never seen before. But um, uh, everything was, was becoming much more Italian. And I started co- cooking, uh, I, I started cooking Tuscan style dishes, which, which w- was interesting, mm-hmm. uh, because we, I always cooked more Sicilian stuff, but, uh, because I thought we were from the South, South of Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, through this whole metamorphosis, if you will, um, I decided I wanted to learn the language. So I signed up for Italian courses yep. and so I, I got more and more into it and people started to say a lot of people that would critic would critique my work and they kept saying it was more Italian Renaissance than it was anything else. Most of my, most of my peers were, were painting um, uh, abstract modern, pretty much modern stuff. I was, I was more a traditionalist and, and very much a, a, a Renaissance. I'm, I'm painting. I'm painting Madonnas and saints and all this other shit. You know, and, right, uh, right, right. And it was like so totally different than anybody else in the class. But I felt like I was being leaded that way. I, I was being led that way. I was being um, drawn to to something that was not only Italian but it was ancient. Which, and uh, so this is fascinating. Okay, so like like recapping here, you've hit this point where you've hit a midlife crisis and then you've hunted and you've awakened the artistic side of you. It's just so interesting how we work as humans at this point where we've trained, because you're talking what, like 30 something years, like 20, 28, 29, whatever, how many years it was that you were just 
completely focused on banking, completely using the right side of your brain, completely playing that game. And then you awaken, like you said, you awaken the left side. And now you're accepting all of these very strange techniques that to the right side, you know, it's like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? And through this process, you're discovering, um, you're, you're open to this discovery where like, I, I mean, this is, I'm a cynical skeptic. So there's part of me that's like, you know, there isn't fucking voices talking, <laughs> but it's fascinating. It's fascinating that, you know, you know, your brain is opened up to all this stuff because you are discovering something new. And then this leads you to ultimately, um, going to back to Italy, right? So you, how did you get back to Italy? Well, again, as you said, it opened my brain. It also opened my soul at the time. I really feel that, that something happened within me that opened me up, that, that gave me the opportunity to not to question it, but just to try to find out what was driving me. And so um, I started doing some research on the family to, mm-hmm. um, to try to figure out what the connection was. And um, uh, so I, uh, I had uh, relied on stories that I had got from my grandfather mm-hmm. um, and uh, his, his, his tales to me were, were, were very brief. He spoke very little English. My grandmother didn't speak any English. This is, and this was by the way, my, my father's side of the family. Sure. The Petchy's the Petchy side. So, so my grandmother didn't speak any English. Uh, my my uh, grandfather spoke English. His his name um, was pa, was Paul, and uh, so he so he would tell me the stories of um, uh, when he first came to the country. They you know, and uh, it was pretty pretty. Um, barren when that when he came, but in any that was back in at, just at the turn of the century, so like the early 1900s. Sure. Um, but his father, my my great grandfather, was the cousin uh, was a cousin to Pope Leo the Thirteenth. So right. Pope, Pope Leo the Thirteenth was a was a Pecci. He was a Pecci Pope, and he and he died in 1903. I think my grandfather came over at that point in time, but um, so there was there was this whole connection there. So I so I decided that I wanted to to try to figure out the lineage, or just try to try to figure out where we came from. And we did. I, I did establish that that uh, that we were from south of Rome. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure what actual town we came from but the pope the pope had come from caponetto romano which is south of rome so i went to the po- i went to the pope sites all i got a lot of re- a lot of uh, references a lot of books on on the pope and started looking at his lineage and i so i trade so his lineage goes way back so you could this was this was officially documented when he when he became pope they did an official document on his on his lineage, yeah, yeah, which brings him, which brings him back to the 15th century, and then I found out that the Pecci's actually came from Siena, which when we first went to Italy, uh-huh. that was that was the place 
we went to it. And I didn't even, I didn't know why I wanted to go there. This was before I knew any of this shit. But um, we ended up going to Siena. And that's where, that's, that's actually where the Pechis came from, was Siena. And isn't, so, C- isn't the history of Siena, isn't that the banking city? Isn't that? That's the rise of banking. The first bank in the world was in Siena. <laughs> weird. So, but, now, but I'll tell you, this gets even weirder because... Now I'm, I'm, I'm researching back as far, as far as I can see. And there were, and I'm coming across not only the Pope, but going further back, there were ambassadors, there were, there were cardinals, there, they were very, they were a very, very powerful family um, that started out in obscurity back in the 11th century, but, or, you know, that's, that's as early as I can find, but, but grew to, grew to um, quite quite prominent uh, throughout Europe, but but then has shrunk down and it's kind of dissipated into, there are very few Pechis around. Um, in Italy, there, 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 are, there are a lot here in, in America, descendants, but, but in, in Italy, they're, they're, you know, they're, and particularly in, in Siena or Tuscany, you, can't, you don't find them anymore. So, um, so anyway, we ended up going back to, uh, to back to Italy uh, uh, on the first trip to mm-hmm. Siena, but uh, and that's that's where that's where when I when we first got there, I don't know if you remember, I just I felt totally at home there. I knew where we I knew where we wanted to go. I knew places that you know that uh, that called out to me. I uh, you know I felt when I got there, I felt like I was at home. We had gone. On, on that trip, we had gone to Sicily. We had gone to sure. uh, to the Amalfi Coast. We went to Rome and all these places. But C- Siena, to me, was the place that I felt like I was at home. Yeah. And and so we so we've gone back there a number. Uh, I don't know how many times we've been back to Siena. But in my process of of going back in time and finding these people. In the tw- in the fifteenth century, in the fourteenth century, in the thirteenth century, I finally found that the oldest person, the the oldest reference that I could find, is a uh, a banker from Cortona, which is a town that, as you know, I, I love Cortona. Yeah, it's beautiful. I have a whole I have a whole connection with Cortona, but. This banker from Cortona in the in the 12th century uh, was named Paolo Pecci, and so uh, so I thought, holy shit, and, you know. And, it's weird. Think, it's weird. Like I said, I'm a cynic, and that's strange. That's strange. But but it's Paolo. I I truly believe in my heart that Paolo is the one that has has reached out to me, and I am telling the story. Uh, so the book that I've written is not about Paolo, uh, per se. Um, I started writing the, the first book uh, about him, but I, but in, in the very first chapter, I started writing about his father, Giovanni. And so I wrote so much about him that I thought, well, I got to start the, the series with, with Giovanni. So this goes back to the, to the, uh, Early to, to the mid to the late uh, 11th century, Giovanni Pecci. Um, but his son, Paolo, is the one that is connected, I think, with me and is, is, has given me all of this 
information that I keep finding, you know, like I dream about, sh- I, I dream about stuff. Yeah. Only to find out maybe a year or two or three years later when we go to Italy, I find that, I find that location. And, you know, I, I we have been to, we have been to places in Siena that have really resonated to me and we've returned several times to these places mm-hmm. only to find out years later that they are actually Pecci Palazzos that were built in the 12th or 13th century. Um, and so it, it's all, all of the tie-ins with the, particularly the 12th and 13th century and, and actually into the 14th century. But, uh, all those buildings that you saw when we were in Siena, you know, around the the, the campo down, down uh, where the, the palio is, yeah. all of the all of those those buildings were built during the time of the the reign of the Novici, which is the the uh, the government of the Nine, and the Pecci's were 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 part of the government of the Nine, so they ruled Siena for about seventy five years. And built all of the buildings that you see today, including you know a lot of the cathedral that's there. Um, so, so there's a huge tie-in with with the Pecci's there that I never ever would have known about. And it was not because my grandfather told me about it because he probably didn't know about it either. Weird. But it was going. Yeah, it was just going through through dreams and through the, these connections. I think that opening myself up to listen to to my heart and my dreams it's 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 fascinating i mean there are a lot of uncanny sort of connections that happen in here um it, it's difficult for me like i said because i'm a cynic so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i sit here and i go ah that's cool i get weird connection i get it but the thing that's fascinating is um so you just became, I, I'll say it, you became obsessed with this. You really became obsessed with, with Italy and this Italian language. And then you started to dig really deep. And so it's, it's interesting to see you coming out of banking and then getting into painting and then finding this meditation that you do. So it's yeah. like, a, what is it, like a tantric medication? Or me- I, do, meditation? Yeah, I, was do, I, I was doing tantric med- uh, meditation. I was doing, we were doing journeying. Uh-huh. And so we would we would <clears throat> bring ourselves into another into another state and and then try and try to come back and uh, and record you know I, I I recorded what what uh, we felt what we saw and each time I would then produce paintings from my from my dreams and my journeys. So strange. And, uh, it's so strange. Oh, I, I, it's this isn't a this isn't a new thing. This is something no. that like like uh, David Lynch does this. The director David Lynch does uh, trans transcendental meditation. I think that's what it's yeah. called. He yeah. does he does yeah. a lot of that stuff too. And it's 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 fascinating. Whatever it is, whether it's mystical or not mystical, it's interesting how it sort of puts your brain into sort of a relaxed state and allows it to just process. Uh, imagery and process ideas and process uh, inspirations at such a, a radical level. And, you know, being a creator myself and being someone that is constantly hitting writer's block or trying to come up with ideas, I think the big challenge that we have as artists 
is trying to shut off all of that everyday bullshit, like all of that ridiculous, whether it's the uh, the pressures of capitalism or if it's the pressures of your the stresses of your life, like you said before, having to feed six mouths and and go through yeah. all that stuff. So I think uh, regardless of whether or not you believe in the mystical sort of qualities of that, I think that it's as far as a as far as like a biological sort of uh, chemical level, it's 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 seems to be pretty important to do something to that equivalent at least to open yourself up to new ideas and get rid of all that static all that fucking noise like all that outside shit that is oftentimes telling us hey you can't do this hey you're going to be broke hey this isn't right right." you know what i mean like that's yeah you've got to be able to tune that up a lot of people will use mushrooms a lot of people will use like drugs like like hallucinogenics or whatever right right um you know for for me you know, I, I had I had a couple of people that have been that have read the read the book said to me like, oh my god, the you know the the scene in, in the Abbey, you know, like how how did you how did you write that? I felt like I was right there, and when I was writing when I when I was writing a scene in the book, um, we happened to this this Abbey that I'm writing about. Um, I've gone to a number of times, and when we were there on on um, our very first trip, I don't know if, if you came with us. We went. I don't think to, so. To hear, we went to hear the monks. Uh, we went to hear the monks sing. I know you were you were on that trip. I think you went somewhere else, and we and we and Mom and I went to to hear the the, the monks chant, and I ended up. It was it was really a mystical, uh, uh, very spiritual uh, experience for me. And uh, being so spiritual, I bought the CD. Of course, that's that's what you do. <laughs> Mix of spirituality and a little bit of consumerism. A little bit of consumerism, you know. You know, they, 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 you know they, So I so I bought the CD and I brought that home. And so when I'm when I was writing the, the these the scene, a couple of scenes in this in this monastery. I'm listening to the the monks chanting the you know the hours and uh, it just brought me it, it just transported me into not only into back into the monastery but back in time um, to the time that I was writing about which which is the the, the 12th century and um, so it was fascinating it was just it but it but it was it enabled me to block out you know, the housewives or whatever the moms was watching, but you know, like just like <laughs> what me, <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I think you need to, I think you need to get a bucket of water and take care of those fucking birds. <laughs> well, my, my birds. Yeah. You know, are they coming? Th- are they coming through? Oh, they'll yeah. be, they'll be in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, so, what we've done here is we've revealed the fact that you're writing a book and I kind of want to sort of go back a bit here. Um, so you've been doing all this research. You've, you've been digging through our family lineage just out of curiosity, just out of the need to sort of hunt for your origins. And then these sort of these puzzle pieces are sort of revealing themselves in a strange way to be too, I don't know. Too coincidental. Too, too coincidental, yeah. So then you're going down this path, you're doing this stuff. Like you've you've never fucking written a book before. Like at what point did you decide that you were going to start to write a book? And this isn't a factual 
this isn't necessarily like a just a specific factual book. This is a story. Like you've actually crafted this into a narrative at this point. This is a novel. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, I, I it's, mean. I, it's, before you get into it, I, I just got to say, I remember when you were telling me that you're writing a book. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So you, now you're painting, now you're doing this, and now you're writing a novel, and you're still working. You're still at a bank at this point. So, mm-hmm. so wh- why did you get started with the book? Because I, I, I ended up having these experiences when I was in Italy. I was having these experiences while I was home, having dreams. And I felt very strongly that I had this story being told to me and I had to write it down. And I guess, you know, like when you, when you, when you have a dream mm-hmm. about something and you, you get up and you have to start, you, you want to write it down before you forget it. Yes. yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever done that, but, but I've, I've done that, you know, exactly. So, you know, I've done that with my paintings. A lot of <laughs> I used to wake up in the middle of the night and I'd have to go up and, and start painting because I had this vision that I had to paint. And, and so I, I found this with, with the paint, with the, with the um, writing as well. I had no intention of writing a book. I, I just wanted to write all of this stuff down. And, and then it got, it started to morph itself into more of a novel. And so I'm writing this thing. And then I got to a point that I was almost too anxious because I was afraid I was going to die. I was going to die in a car accident or I was going to forget, you know, something was going to happen to prevent me from finishing this story that had to be told. Yeah. And so I was just driven with this idea that, this story is given to me and it has to be told. And so, um, so then it became, okay, I got to write a book. And then it became, I've got to write a novel and, and it became a historic novel. Mm. And so, so, so there, there was a whole other issue there because as you know, to, it's one thing to create a story about, you know, uh, something that maybe that you're familiar with. Sure. I had to recreate a time period. I had to then be fairly accurate on the historic end of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the characters in my book are historic figures. So, you know, I couldn't just blow that whole thing out of the water like um, Abraham Lincoln, vampire killer. I, you know, like I... I I had to make it at least seem plausible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because you got to so, go. You got to go back and you got to dig through history at this point. You're doing all that research. Ton, tons of history. So, so I went back and and, and started doing a lot of research, uh, and actually, a lot of the research on on the things that I write about in in Siena, um, I, I, I happened to come across. A Giovanni Pecci, who was a historian uh, in the 1700s. Of course, and, uh, of course. Of course. So I've relied upon a lot of his stuff. But, of course, that's all in Italian. So I've got to translate all of that stuff. And But it gave me references to, to go to other places, to other books. Um, and also, funny, in, in, in the meantime, on my travels, 
I run into, I, we go to the castle of Stigliano, which is a, which, which is the Pecci castle. Okay. Uh, and, and this is in where, like Cortona? This is, this is south of, of Siena. Okay. All right. And, um, so I ended up, um, traveling there just to see this, this castle and the castle, by the way, now fig, fig is heavily in my, in my book and it will figure heavily into all my books. That's probably the, the main character that, that links all the books together is the castle itself. But, uh, I ended up be, uh, meeting the owner of the castle and becoming friendly with him, and he gave and he has given me throughout the years now a plethora of of um, information, not only on the castle but on the Pecci's and uh, and so uh, it, it's just it, it's just opened up an entirely new world to me, and um, so I've been I've been utilizing a lot of. Uh, uh, Andrea um, uh, 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 Bonicelli's uh, mm-hmm. information that he sent to me, and um, and we we conti- we we talk continuously now, and uh, and so he keeps digging up stuff, including including um, revealing as they're doing renovations in the castle, they they've revealed uh, new. Um, um, Paintings uh, that were were made, which uh, by the same artist who pretty much one of the ones that kicked off the Renaissance, you know, right, right, early, right. early Sienese painters. But I mean, it, all these things keep unfolding. The more I look, the more it unfolds, and you find out all of the, all of this stuff. Whether it's all connected to me, I haven't a clue, but somehow it's feeding me this energy. So yeah, yeah, you're, you're down this rabbit hole at this point. So you're sitting down, you're writing this book, you're putting together this stuff. And this isn't just a pure factual book at this point, right? So this is, this is a narrative now, right? So this is now, this has become a narrative and it takes on some really funky twists to it. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's actually a story. It's a story. Actually, it's about, uh, Giovanni, mm-hmm. who was a, who it, at the time it opens up with him being a very old man, um, and he's writing his confession, and he's writing about his entire life. So he talks about everything that has happened to him throughout his life, and it's all because he's he's become one of the most powerful men in 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 Italy. Um, he had he touches all of the important uh, political and historic figures of the time. Fascinating time. It was like, it was definitely, I I say it was uh, uh, the original Game of Thrones. They were, uh, you know, empires were fighting empires. Sure, sure. This is is like the the peak of that. This is like like political intrigue and like uh, you're mixing in the- Crusades, yeah, everything. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. The church and the church- Play, of course, plays very uh, very heavily in in in, in the book, um, but it was the church was the original uh, the firm. They were the, they were the mafia at the time. They they controlled everything, and um, and the pope was was pretty much the puppet master. Uh, but yet he was he was constantly at, at war with 
with one emperor or another emperor and, and uh, kings, and it, it was just it was just a fascinating time, and it's, brutal time, and it's paralleled by now. I mean, we're still doing this shit. It's so it's so fascinating that as a culture, as a human species, that's what we were doing then, and it's it, it parallels exactly what we continue to do now. Whether you're if talking you, about the oil the oil industries, or if you're talking about uh, how Trump runs our country, you, like yeah. it's it's incredibly relevant. It's actually uncanny it, how relevant it is. It's it's almost a thousand years ago, um, and yet the names are still the same. The, the 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 places that you know the the wars that we've had, you know whether it's in Aleppo or whether it's in in Syria or Damascus, you know no, no matter where it is, those were the same wars we were fighting back then. But we were not. But we were not going after oil back then. That was oil meant nothing. The big thing for us was holy relics, and so, so, you know, the 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 the, the, the most ex, the most expensive commodity was a holy relic. Why? And why was, was that? Why do you think that was? Because we were at a point in our in our civilization when when. Um, the towns were starting to grow. The nobility was starting to lose control, uh, and you were getting these city states. You were getting, you were getting the rise of these towns. Every town then was in competition, and they would build, they would build um, cathedrals. Sure. And but then they also needed money, and so money started to become, commerce became the rule, and so we were, so we were now. We were at a point where we were not no longer ruled by by the nobility, but the merchant bankers now started to to take control. And this is where the this is where in Siena the birth of banking started. But more importantly, you had these these um, towns that were growing, and the best way to grow a town was to have people come and spend money. Mm. And in order for them to come. Wouldn't it be nice if you had um, uh, <laughs> Jesus's uh, right finger uh, on the altar, or you know, the tears of the Virgin Mary in a vial? You know, so they would they the, the Crusaders would come back from from the Holy Land with a whole bunch of fake shit. It was all merch, you so know. It was funny. all merch. So weird. It was the it was the that was the biggest thing was the merch, and and so they would come back with. Uh, splinters from the true cross. Well, if you put all those if you put all those splinters together, the true cross would have been bigger than the uh, Prudential Building. You know, it was they they brought they brought you know the crown of thorns and, and right. So, so that, now we're in like Indiana Jones territory at this point. Absolutely. So yeah. now you have you have holy relics today yeah. that have survived. That who knows. You know what shyster put them together? Yeah, uh, back back in the 12th century. But they, now, because of time, they are now ancient holy relics. But you know that was that was the driving force. They wanted to reclaim the Holy Land because uh, the, you know the Christians felt that that it was taken away from them by the by the Islamic republics, mm-hmm. and and so <clears throat> so the Pope, successive popes kept. Waging holy wars, the holy wars, the crusades to go over, retake the land, and bring back all of that shit, you know. And and so every city or every every major uh, hot point in in Europe 
had some kind of relics and they'd bring bodies, you know, they'd bring decomposed bodies back and say, this was the, the body of uh, St. Andrew or say, you know, whatever, right, right, you know, right. and I remember when we went, I think we went to, uh, what was, uh, in, it was in Cortona. We went to that town that had the glass case with the mummified, yeah. that was the mummified remains of like some saint in it. Some say, yeah, that was St. Margarita, uh, Santa Margarita. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she, you know, like, Totally, you know, so well preserved. She looks just like when she was living. It's crazy in that glass case. It's creepy. And it, but, but but when you look in the glass case, she's this fucking mummy that's like all green and and and, and you know, it's like it's really, like, it's like a, it's like a Sam, it's like a Sam Raimi prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. really. And, and but but people believe that, and still people to this they they go there and and uh, you know for centuries they would. Climb, and you remember how high up that was. But yeah, they, you know, you the pilgrims would climb on their on their knees to go up and touch the casket of Santa Margarita, and uh, so then it's you know it's, it's so it's an interesting story at this point, a relevant story about control, essentially. I mean, you're you're, you're basically, I mean, we that's what the Catholic Church is. That's what you know. That's what big business does today. I mean, it's all about how to manipulate and control the masses to make sure that they do exactly what they need them to do, to keep them in place, to make sure that there's some sort of law, to make sure that there's a way uh, to keep them from revolting, right? Is that essentially the deal? This was was the whole premise of the book, is that um, control was the key. And, And although the Holy Roman Emperor controlled the empire he he was he was the one that that really should have ruled he could not rule without the pope crowning him and so you know he had to kiss the pope's ass and and if he got out of line the pope could excommunicate him we were at a, we were at a point in time when when there was still you know there was still most of the the populace who were afraid of of life after death as much as they were of, of death. You know, th- their life was, was shit to begin with. Sure. But, uh, you know, they so, had well, the I promise. Mean, yeah. Talk about a great way to, to manipulate an uh, a entire populace that doesn't have food, that are dying for famine, that are going through all this stuff. You promise them the, the gift e- of an afterlife at that point. Eternal salvation, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and, and they played it. The church played it. The Pope played it that, if you if you were a nobleman, if you if you were a, a person with means and, and and money and and real estate, you could go to the Crusades. <laughs> turn you would turn all your property over to the um, uh, to, to the safekeeping of the church, mm-hmm. and you would go over to fight the infidels. And if you should die, or even if you didn't die, if you fought and you killed enough of them, then all of your sins would be forgiven. <laughs> so you could be the biggest piece of shit, and you could have owned all kinds of castles and all this stuff, and like like the Emperor Barbarossa, you, 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 you created all kinds of crimes in your life. You go over to a crusade, and... Um, you leave stuff in the hands of the Pope. If you died, the church kept it. You know, mm-hmm. if you, you know, and so they reneged on a lot of the stuff. So the, 
the church became extremely wealthy with land and all kinds of stuff because um, uh, it was given given over. And even if they came back, a lot of times they would they would give the church property uh, as a you know as a um, as like a gift or an offering, like a thank, yeah, like yeah. an offering, a thanks to to the Blessed Mother or to Jesus or whatever to <laughs> you know to forgive their sins. It, I mean, it was it. Looking at it in the 21st century, you look back and say, "What horseshit!" But but dude, it's still these, yeah, it's still the shit. It's still the same. You, I mean, it's a hot thing right now. If you watch Netflix and you go through all these documentaries and they talk about cults and how cults are formed. And it's 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 always so fascinating with this stuff that there's, I forget the name of the doc. There was a doc that just came out recently, and it was about this cult leader. And it turns out that he was driving around in like um, uh, Mercedes and like Bentleys, and he was he yes, he was yeah, he I, was getting all of that. <laughs> he was yeah, getting all yeah, those riches. Yeah, and yeah. and you look at how it, it's so strange, like how specific humans choose to go down that path. Whether you're talking about the Catholic Church, or whether you're talking about the the head of a giant corporation, or if you're talking about Charles Manson, it's this, it's this ability, it's this confidence to to lead or to 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 uh, bestow an idea or bestow um, an answer to that that universal fear that we all have, which is I can see my own death, I can forecast the fact that I'm going to die, and so yeah. like. It's so interesting when you see these folks that take advantage of that. They take advantage of that thing and are able to manipulate and are able to control large masses of people. It's fucking fascinating. It's fascinating to think back a thousand years, you know, you know, around the turn of the, the millennium, 1000, the church controlled everything, controlled all the learning. All the learning in the world was controlled by the church. Very so, so very few people. We didn't have universities. They didn't study. You know, they started in, in the 11th century, uh-huh. um, the 12th century. But prior to that, everything was in Latin. Uh, and I, when I say the world, I'm talking about the Western world. Sure. Uh, and we have to understand that the Western world was was so backwards compared to the Eastern. You know, the the Eastern empire was was so much more advanced and the islamic um uh, caliphates and and you know the arab all of the arab world was so far advanced you got into china china was was would blow us all away because they were they you know all the new inventions were coming out of china and learning was was still was still kept in the arab world so the western world was still the dark ages and the church, everything that anybody knew was through the church. Nobody knew how to write. Nobody knew how to read, uh, except for the for the uh, monks and the and the priests. And um, and the populace was kept down through ignorance. They they had no way of, of knowing anything until until the early Renaissance started to come, and they started to develop these beautiful paintings mm. so it was through art that people finally got to hear the messages of, of you know and, and the stories of the bible or whatever it was through the paintings because they didn't know how to read 
yeah. they, but they could see it. And, and anything that was, anything that was, um, uh, spoken was in Latin. And a lot of the people didn't know Latin. They, they had, uh, you know, the old, the old tongue, but they didn't know, they didn't know Latin. So, uh, you know, I can't imagine people going to a mass if they did go to a mass sit there and just listen to a bunch of meh, 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 and not know what the fuck it was. Yeah. But, but as we got into the Renaissance, then at least they could look at the ceiling and see the fucking pictures. So it was like, they were, <laughs> they were like the, they were like the original comic books, you know? Sure, sure. sure. All, of, all of those frescoes were the original comic books and they told the story of, of Jesus or, or whatever. They, they told historic fact and they told, Propaganda, um, biblical. yeah. There's all sorts Pro- of stuff. Oh, propaganda completely. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because you listen to this stuff, and if you're a listener at home and you're you're going through this stuff, you're like, man, what a what a what a what a what a easily manipulated group of people that is. But then, but then you no, relate you, you relate that to now, right? Yeah. And you relate yeah. that to how easily manipulated uh, folks were with their Facebook feeds with uh through politics and the manipulation that happens uh through the uh, the line of uh media that we get the, the the delivery mechanism in which most people find facts which yeah. is articles that are written not by anybody that has any sort of uh re- like uh education to write these articles like the there's been a death of reporters of like journalism is dead like true journalism is dead at this point because uh, they can't afford to to live and exist, and so we're getting uh, whether it's propaganda or we're getting what I like to call uh, the information that we want to be true. We can go make sure we can go find it to be true. It's like mm-hmm. it's like people that self diagnose themselves on like uh, on like one of those medical dot com websites where it's like I think I have fucking cancer. You literally can go through and enter in uh, all of your uh, issues that you're having and find a way to convince yourself that you have cancer. It just, and, and, and that's that way with politics. That's that way with news. That's way that way with information. We're dealing with a time period with, uh, news outlets that are literally built informed as a company that is an entertainment company that disguises themselves as the news. So you're dealing with like Fox news. You're dealing with all these different places doing that stuff. It's the same shit. It's literally the same thing that was happening back then. That's happening. It's, it's, it's feed the mass, the information you want them to, to know. And, and you know, when, as, as you know, when in Italy, you can walk into any church and you can find masterpieces from, you know, from the artists that we consider to be the great masters. Yeah. You know, you can find them, uh, you know, in, in a tiny little church, you can find a Michelangelo or you can find a, uh, you know, a, a Piero della Francesco or whatever, you know, all of these masters. Basically what you're looking at is the churches, um, the, the, the remains of the churches, um, Instagrams. Those those are Instagrams uh, <laughs> all over the fucking walls and the ceiling, you know. But you're you at the time. That's all that the general public had was was to walk in and they could 
they could look up and see see this be- these beautiful paintings and and get the story they can get the story by looking at the paintings but it was only what was being spoon fed to them of course and then over the course of history there's always the people in power that are using the artists because the artists are generally like you were saying at the beginning of the episode I'm going to decide to be a banker because I don't want to be broke for the rest of my life. Most of these artists are broke. Most of these artists are in situations where they're not making that kind of money. And this exists today. This is relevant. This is why this is relevant on this show. When we get hired to go do commercials, when you get hired to go do this branding, how often are you actually examining what this branding is for? And how often can you afford to have a political opinion on that? Because we are desperate. And the way that the system is in place right now, they've made it so that they're paying us nothing. We're getting paid yeah. pennies. So we're in a very sort of desperate scenario in which we can't afford. We don't have the luxury to say, hey, look, I don't want to make a Pepsi commercial because of the history with Pepsi. Or I don't want to make a uh, you know a, a, an Apple ad because I b- don't believe in how the people building these things in China are treated. You don't have that ability as an artist. And then what the businesses need is our skills, our skills as storytellers, our skills as visual artists, our skills as, as, um, as writers to capture the imagination, to create these worlds, to create these environments in order to tell their stories, which, as we were saying, most of the time is some sort of propaganda. I mean, look at the filmmakers that were hired by Hitler to do propaganda during World War II. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and and this still exists, and I think that's what's so fascinating about your book. And I just want to sort of give like a a bird's eye view here. Like, you've got to this point where you've fallen down this rabbit hole, and you've it's so strange the steps that you've gone to get to this point where you're essentially having to become a bit of a historian because you need to get your facts right, but then also relating this stuff to uh, a modern audience. So that they understand that there, this still exists, that there is a connectivity here. Um, and it's just the way that you're writing this story about a main character who is essentially a piece of shit um, and, and essentially coming out to confess his sins for atonement and to be uh, forgived for this thing. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting story. Um, and I... The, uh, so go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. You got it. Yeah, no, the, 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 the whole premise... On the book um, is steeped in in happening things that are happening today um, that have happened over over you know time. But um, you know he is a piece of shit. In the end, you know you 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 I won't you know the, the reader has to come to their own conclusion. Yeah, no spo- this, no spoilers here, but, as they say. Yeah, no no spoilers. no spoilers here. But I will say that in in the beginning he he sets his life out. He, he starts out in life um, and he is abused by, uh, you know, he's, he's at a, he's at the monastery and he is abused, has a terrible uh, abuse from, from one of the, one of the monks. Um, and, and this creates the whole premise of uh, or, or this, this plants the negative seed in him. And this, this happening in his early childhood pretty much dictates what he becomes the rest of his life. Yep. 
And we see that same thing happening today. I, it's the same, you know, like the, the, the child abuse in the church today is no different than it was a thousand years ago. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's happening over and over and over again. And so what I found fascinating in this story, uh, as I developed it as a, as a human humanistic story, is what happens with a, with a young, innocent person that gets violated so, so savagely, how does that impact him the rest of his life? Right. And so this whole, this whole book is, is about the choices between right and wrong, good and evil, whatever. And, and one man that, that makes those choices and it's some of the things that happen early in his life that, that kind of force him to make, the, wrong, the choices that are wrong, that we would look at is maybe wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's fascinating, and I think that's a good. I think that's a good way to sort of tease people on the book. I'll make sure to put links below if you guys want to dig into it. I want to make sure that this episode doesn't become a commercial for your book. That's not why I had you right. on the show. I think yeah. that um, the thing that fascinates me the most is how passionate you've become about this. And then uh, to go back to your thing, because I, I think the relevant. I think the relevant thing for the show is the decision that that we often have to make as an artist. And I think I've said it a couple times. I think your decision process where you sat there and you went, I don't want to be a starving artist. I don't want to be broke. I'm going to pick this path. And this happens all the time in, in our business where you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to be a freelancer if you're going to go take that job at the corporation for a salary or if you're going to... Uh, not continue your career as an actor uh, because you have a family now, because you have kids, because you have responsibility. I think these things become, uh, are incredibly important questions for us, especially when we start to get to our, you know, late 20s. When you start to get into that late 20s, early 30s, because at this point, the 20s are are essentially an extension of the teens. And I don't want to be insulting you guys that are listening at home. I'm not saying that you're fucking teenagers, but it's true. The extent of like your 20s is you just sort of like getting out on your own, learning about the world. (laughs) Liam's giving me the finger here. (laughs) You know what, dude? You're just a teenager. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) But it is that you're just you're sort of figuring all this stuff out and there's freedom there. And there's something that's really great about a lot of young people listening to the show, a lot of young filmmakers listening to the show, is that uh, most of us have the time to play around in this period. Most of us that have the access, that have the support, if you have the support system from a good family, if you have uh, the ability to make money, if you're savvy enough to try to figure that out, you can play around through your 20s and decide what it is that you want to do. And you could try out different things and try out different career paths. But then as you hit the end of that, as you start to hit your 30s, that's when that sort of adult decision-making process kicks in where it's like, what the fuck do I do now? Like, I wanted to be an actor and it really isn't going the way I want. Or if I continue down this path, it's going to affect other people because now I have kids and now I have responsibilities. And so I think that's why I'm fascinated with your story because most people that I have on this show choose the path of art and choose the path of like throwing it all to the wind. Fuck it. I'm going to follow my dreams and chase my dreams. And I'm not saying you didn't because you had a dream of being a banker and you had that ability to go that route 
And Jesus Christ went from a stockroom to being a president of a fucking bank, which is a journey within itself. I mean, if this show was about that, if this show was about how to be a successful business person, you figured that out. Um, but I'm fascinated because you had the art, you had the the craving of the art. You were introduced to the art at a young age, which I think is just being introduced to the ability to thinking about things differently. And I guess you could call that the left or right side of the brain if you wanted to get scientific about it. But it's just looking at the world in a slightly different way. In order to yes. being someone that can paint something or capture something, you have to understand light. You have to understand what is happening in the background that no one else is noticing. Same thing with cinema, same thing with music, same thing with any of these things. And I think once you're introduced to that world, it's like, it's like taking the pill and going into the matrix. Once, once you have that in you, it's going to come the fuck out. And I think that's so fascinating that it, it, it came out with you so, so much later. So like in your 30s, in, which a in a time period in which most people would be freaking out going, I need, to, I need to buckle down. I need to get into shit at this point. You're kind of expanding your world. And then as you sort of get into your 50s and as you're, as you're getting older, and you are running those parallels at this point. You're being a banker and you're also living the life as an artist. Are you being pulled in one direction or another? Um, always. You know, I, I'm always, I'm always um, walking the tightrope. Tight but, you know, it's funny. Uh, with Michael uh, and I've, uh, with Michael Dowling, I, I've still um, kept uh, in touch with him and actually started painting again with him. Um, he's our, our he, he was our art teacher so when we referenced michael dowling in this episode he was an amazing art teacher that taught the both of us back in the days in framingham at um at the uh, danforth uh, museum gallery and he's an amazing artist in his own right um and he puts on these amazing uh i think does he still do the mes medicine wheel he does yeah he just he just had it not too long ago and and uh he's he's an insta he, he does a lot of installation art he's just a fabulous 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 person and he was really the one that 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 got me into the journeying and yeah and, and all of that but uh not to interrupt um, you i just want to make sure the audience knows who we're talking about yeah yeah so so uh, what was i saying with him with him um yeah what a shitty host i am i just didn't trust you right <laughs> in the middle of your fucking statement <laughs> yeah but you were saying that uh, you know, I asked. Oh, you, he, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, he, he, he would always say to me, um, you know, or he'd say to the class, "Here's Paul Petchy, the banker. You know, someday <laughs> I'm going to introduce Paul Petchy as the artist. You know, but he's got to be able to because I, I was at a point. I was at a point where there was always that struggle. I was. I was. I I wouldn't surrender myself to the art side. I always the banker in me always struggled with with that. And it wasn't until towards the end of my career really that I felt comfortable enough that I had made it, you know, I had done what I had done what the banker needed to do. Um and I was able to surrender myself. So when I would go to banking conventions I, I would go to meetings um groups with with uh, meetings with other bank presidents we we always remain close um the conversation with me with the other bank presidents 
was always about art. It was, you know, very rarely was was it about a business. You know, we would talk business, but but I would always bring it back to art, and they would always ask me, you know, how's your art going? And and uh, some of them have been very supportive over over the years with uh, coming to some of my my uh, art shows and whatever. Um, and so throughout the whole community of of banking in, in Massachusetts, people know me as. They, they knew me as the president of, of, of Braintree Cooperative Bank, but they also knew me as an artist. And so I finally got to a point in my life where I surrendered, uh, you know, the, the bank has surrendered to the artist. And I now feel like I'm an artist. Now I, now I struggle with artist author, but, uh, but that's all <laughs> under the, that's all under the, uh, under the arts. You uh-huh, know, I, uh-huh. I, I consider that. Well, not I consider yet because, my book a piece of art. Yeah, because now you're retired. So you retired. The, uh, what did you? What did we say? Ki- seven months ago. I, I killed the banker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, murdered. I, mur- I, I murdered the banker. He's you know, now, I he's, still. He's now encased in a, a glass shrine on the top <laughs> of a, a little town in Italy. That we. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have. You know, I'm still on the. I'm still on the board of a bank, but. Uh, you know, uh, I try not to. I, I try to live my life as as a banker and uh, and do the other things that I that I really like to do. You, you mean know? you try to live your life as a banker now, or as an artist now? Oh, I'm sorry, as an artist. Yeah. I, I try to live myself as a as my my life as an artist, um, and uh, really just stop and smell the roses. You know, that's <laughs> that, every day. Every day is a wonderful day for me. You know, which is okay. So this is also interesting because now we're talking about stuff that a lot of us that are listening to the show that are in our middle age, right? You know, I'm what forty. I thought now. you had a. I thought you had a young audience. We do, but there's a, there's a mix here, man. I like to think that there's a mix here. You know, and now we're talking about, uh, you know, the end of for a lot of people, they're talking about retirement, and for for many people, retirement is the end or. Retire- oh, 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 don't, don't, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> don't say, are you kidding? Michael, this, this is only the beginning. What are you shitting me? This is only the beginning. <laughs> which is great, which is why I'm bringing this up, which is why I'm bringing this up. For- you know, I was, t- I was telling your mother that when we were, when we were in floating in a, floating in a balloon over Siena. Um, you know, this is only the beginning, you know, this is, this is just one step in, in, you know, the sky is the limit now. Well, but, but look, I was there for your retirement party. I gave a speech for your thing. And, and I, what I said in the speech was very true. I admire, it was wonderful. I admire that about you. And the thing that I, I think one of the, you're my dad, of course, and everybody listening is like, yeah, he's his dad. So of course he fucking admires it. <laughs> well, it isn't just that. It's the fact as a human, I admire the fact that you were able to find uh, a second purpose. I mean, your first purpose, you decided that you were going to do something. You were going to become a banker. And that could be anything. You can decide that you're going to open up a store. You can decide that you're going to do whatever it is that you're going to do. And what happens in our lives, it isn't the Disney fairy tale where you make that decision and then you live happily ever after. You hit a point where that decision may come to you and not be the right decision. May may show itself as being the complete opposite of what to, what it is that you thought you wanted to do, and you were able to open yourself up and not be destructive in a midlife crisis. Not get to that point where it's just anger 
and upset and hatred and fear and all these elements that caused people to do some pretty radical things at that period in their life. And you were able to, luckily, through the advice of or the influence of the, the mother in our family, of course, but, <laughs> but you were able to make a decision and then set yourself a brand new goal. Because I remember for quite some time before you were retiring, you were just excited to get to that point when you could just be an artist and you could just be a writer full time. And so now you're stepping out at a period of time where most people will just go to fucking Florida and golf every day and wait for their health ailments to kick in. And you now have this whole new life that you get to be excited about and you get to lead and grow old doing. I mean, uh, we grow fucking so old these days. Did you hear, was it yesterday that Kirk Douglas died at like 103? Oh, I didn't I didn't know he died. Yeah, he's, he, he's one of those ancient relics that came back from- on the crusades, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he lived to be like a hundred and three. You know, yeah, yeah. He had he had quite a career. He was, you know, he was pretty pretty interesting character. And he did. He was he lived to a hundred. But you know something, Mike? Most, you know, I, I'm I'm striving to get to to a hundred. That would be wonderful. Most of my uh, most of my lineage was was old. Yeah. Um, your generation, that's going to be the norm, uh, people getting to be 100. And then, and then the younger people, we're talking, we're going to see 120, we're going to see 100, 150. They're, they're, going, to push, they're going to push these numbers way up. Um, so it doesn't matter chronologi- uh, chronologically um, how long you live. It's the quality of life you live. And, yes. and so when, when I retired... I had to I had to make sure that I had the mindset that this was this was now a new beginning. This wasn't the end for me. This was a new beginning and you know, I've got a whole other new career ahead of me. Um I've got a I've got a number of books uh in me right now that have to come out and a number of paintings that still have to come out. But other than that, you know, we love to travel and uh um, it's, and we love to, you know, we just love to experience life. And so that's what we're, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to, whether I have two more years or 40 more years, I'm going to live every day the best I can live. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And I, I think that's inspiring. That's incredibly inspiring, you know, because we get so caught up. I know I do. We all get caught up in our anxieties. Like, and our anxieties are really sort of controlling our lives. And whether those anxieties are being stoked by outside influence or whether those anxieties are being uh, just sort of stoked by our, the pressures that we put on ourselves, like the pressures that I put on myself to make a feature film and to get to that point. And I'm looking at other directors and I'm comparing myself to other people. And it's like, oh, fuck, really? Scott made his first movie at 40. I got to make my first movie at 40. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. these these, yeah. these anxieties that we place on ourselves, which... It, it's so destructive. It, it's it is. really destructive. It is. It, 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 it robs you of that creative juice. When, when, when you have that kind of anxiety, um, it, it strips you of, of whatever positive energy you have create, uh, in your creative being. Yeah. And and you've got to you've got to be able to overcome that. You've got to be able to to zone that out, to put that out, uh to meditate that out, whatever, um to overcome those anxieties because you know, 
you're gonna you're gonna be a great filmmaker. I have no doubt in my mind you're gonna be a great filmmaker. Oh, thanks, but thanks, Dad. Y- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, buck ahead. <laughs> but you may you may reach a point in your life, and and you know when you reach your mid thirties and you have your midlife. Oh, wait a minute, you're way beyond that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> no, when you you know you may you may reach a point in your life that you say. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to and do something else. And that is going to be the thing that you're, you go down in history as being known as the best this. You know, you don't, you just have to, when the, when the, when the inspiration, when the opportunity comes to you, you just have to be open enough to listen to it and to follow it. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, movie if uh doing of uh, feature films is is your, what what is going to define you you'll keep you keep listening to that and keep following that regardless of whatever fucking anxieties are out there or whatever you know whatever people are saying keep true to yourself keep true to your your journey and that's that that will define you all right well honestly I think that's a good. I think that's a good place to end this episode. Um, good, because I got to take a leak. I'm, 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 <laughs> you know, being this old, it doesn't take long. You know. Don't worry. I heard that uh, you guys got to put a wheelchair ramp in the bathroom, so you'll be fine. <laughs> um, well, look, I appreciate you being on the show, and I hope that uh, the people listening to the show have learned uh, a little bit of something interesting. Um, I will push the book. I'll, I'll, I'll put a link below. I am actually looking at a copy of the book because I am that piece of shit son that hasn't had an opportunity to read this thing yet. So I know, I know you wait, I know you're waiting for it to come out, uh, in, in the, um, books on tape. No, not (laughs) I was going to, I was going to say the comic, the comic book version, but, uh, No, no, it's 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 fascinating, and I and knowing because I, you and I have talked about it through the different processes uh, that while you're writing it, I understand what the story is, and and you did bring up Game of Thrones, and it is very much a political piece, um, and it is something that you would see adapted uh, into a Netflix series. So, um, and that's why I, and that's why I tried to keep um, the possession of of everything, you know, smart. and that was a whole whole other thing so that so that someday you'll make the you'll make the series for me oh isn't that sweet you're actually being smart about uh you're self-publishing this book which we didn't really get into but you're actually self-publishing this thing and maintaining the rights for it which is a whole longer conversation that maybe some point we could talk about but it's it's smart because you know in a time period where you need to have that income you need to have that secondary income for a lot of people listening to this um it's it's actually a smarter move, and with this with the internet and with sales on the internet and with all that kind of stuff, you essentially bo- most books are self fucking published at this point. There are still publishing houses, but oh yeah, but but the majority, you know, unless you're a Grisham or you're you know you're uh, Ken Follett or somebody, oh, yeah, like you know, Stephen most King, most everybody, yeah. and even yeah, Stephen King definitely. Um, even a lot of a lot of the big names are self publishing. 
Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of controlling the rights and everything else. So. Yeah, so it's interesting. But anyway, longer story. I just wanted to say uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. And you know what? Well, thank Let, you for having me. Yeah, let's just wrap this up. This is usually where I ask a question uh, for of my guest to sort of give some feedback or some advice to the younger listeners. And I, most of the time, this show is really sort of targeted towards people entering this in, into this business but I think I think your perspective is fascinating because you really speak to folks at my age. You really speak to folks, you know, at their midlife crisis level. And I think that what would you what would you what what would your advice be to someone that is confronting that the eve of that scary moment that someone is actually confronting the the reality. That, that that they the decision that they have to make whether they're going to chase their dreams or whether they're going to cave and and you know go work in retail you know like what would you what would you what would your advice be <clears throat> I guess my advice would be to just stay true to your inner self and to your inner vision and and screw all the you know all of the um, external noise that's out there um, trying to pull you in one direction or another. I think, I think you should, particularly if you're at, at getting at a middle age, uh, that you should be able to, to know what is right for you and what is wrong for you. And, and just really, you know, just listen to, listen to your inner self um, because you're, you're the best, um, you're the best advisor really. Your, your own self. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, that episode, and I hope that uh, you were able to find a bit of inspiration. Not only getting into the business, not only deciding to, to, to choose this path in your life, but like I said, being someone that's my age and you're sort of, you're afraid of the end, right? You're afraid of retirement. You start to get that anxiety where it's like, I'm fucking halfway through, right? I'm fucking 40. God damn it. Have I done this yet? Here's the best thing about our business is it doesn't matter how old you are. As long as you're a good storyteller, as long as you've worked on your craft. I mean, look at fucking Clint Eastwood. That guy is going to be on set. He's going to drop dead on set. That's what I want. That's what I want, man. I don't want retirement. I don't want to be that guy that retires and goes off to Florida and then picks up golf and waits for my knees to fucking go out. And then every day my conversation is about some bullshit fucking body ailment because I am so bored with my life. That's not what I want. I want to get old. I want to keel over at craft services. <laughs> I want to have way too much cheese platter and just drop. That's my goal, right? And I'm okay with it because I know that as long as I'm telling these stories, as long as I'm as I'm working on my craft, as long as I'm working on my technique, I'll have the opportunity to do so. And I hope that's what you get out of the show. I'm 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 proud of my my father. I'm I'm proud to be his son. I, as you now know, I think you'll get more insight into who I am after listening to how he does his stuff. Uh, I've learned the skills to be a businessman from him. I've learned the skills to be an artist from him. I'm very fortunate. And I know not everybody is in that situation, but you can find mentors. 
Go out there and find the people that will teach you these things. And the internet is out there for it. And I'll try to give you guys as much as I can. And I'll try to give you guys access to my life experiences like I did today so that you can learn the lessons that I learned from my dad. So that if you don't have the scenario there for, with, that you can have access to, maybe you come from a, a different family structure, maybe you come from a different place, I can at least give you the info that I got. And that was my hope with this with this episode. Um, and uh, if you are interested in my dad's book, like I said, I'll have a link below. Uh, I know the process that he went through for it. I know the research that he went through for it. It's fascinating. I myself have to read it. I'm sitting here looking at it. Uh, he's got a fucking bang. And we didn't talk about it on the show, but he got an amazing cover artist uh, to do it. And I worked with him on that. Um, I'll, I'll take credit. I worked with him on that. Does he have the cover artist name? Uh, Vladimir. I'm not going to be able to pronounce the, the back end of it. I'm going to put a link for him as well below the episode because the cover art on this book is fucking fantastic. I'm really into it. So anyway, hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys are just enjoying the fucking show, man. And I know you are because you're writing to me and I post shit. And you know something? I want to do a shout out right now. I want to do a shout out to my power fans. I want to do a shout out to the people that listen to the show that have been here from the beginning. And you guys know who you are, right? You reach out to me. I reach back out to you. I'm so happy that you're here with me. You guys are the biggest fans and I'm going to, I'm going to pay you back. There's going to hit a point where I'm going to, I'm going to hook you guys up. And uh, I just appreciate you being there for us and supporting the show and advertising the show and reposting the show. Anybody that reposts the show for me, if I ever meet you in real life, I'll buy you a beer. 100%. Right? I love you guys. I just want you to know that. And uh, I'm not going to ramble out this one. Uh, thanks as always to Code Electro for fucking, uh, for giving us the score, the score for the show. Uh, one of the reasons why you think it's so cool is because of him. And I'm, I'm, not taking credit for that he's the man that does it so thank you code electro thank you liam for being here as always helping me on the show don't give me the finger i'm supposed to take gratitude with a smile i'm supposed to say thank you sir yeah okay yeah okay it's great all right guys that's it thanks for listening and i'll see you next tuesday